So Father, we pray, we ask you in Jesus' name to speak truth into our lives, to show us the good news that with you all things are possible. Make it evident, make it real, make it dance and sing in our hearts and in our minds today as we open up your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we are picking it up in verse 18 of Matthew chapter one. If you wanna hear the first 17 verses, you can go back maybe on the podcast and check it out. Last week we talked about the genealogy of Jesus, the genesis, the beginning, the origins of Jesus, and it is a very important piece of this whole tale for us today, so I encourage you to go back and check that out. But I'll give you the brief view. Matthew just told us the ancestry of Jesus, the genesis of Jesus, but that isn't the whole story. As evidenced by the end of the genealogy, Matthew marches down this line of fathers, this generation after generation of patriarchs, and he makes his way down with some nods to some heroic and unexpected mothers along the way. And then at the end of his genealogy of Jesus, Matthew does a jog. He does a jog that you normally don't do. Because normally mothers don't make it into ancient genealogies. But he goes down the line and he talks about so-and-so and so-and-so. And and he gets to the so-and-so called Joseph. And he calls Joseph the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus. He doesn't say Joseph, the father of Jesus. He says Joseph, the husband of Mary. Pretend you haven't heard this story a million times. The husband of Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. At the end of this long litany, he jogs to Mary. Joseph is not identified as the father of Jesus, but as the husband of Mary. Mary is identified as the mother of Jesus. The father is not identified. And now we all know the story. So we know who the dad is, but pretend you don't. Okay? Pretend that you're in the ancient world and you read this genealogy and you get to the end of it. And it says Joseph, the husband of the mother. And we don't know who the father is. Imagine the drama of that if you can. If you can put yourself in that situation. If you can put yourself out of the situation of hearing this story every year for as many years as you've been alive, maybe, and put yourself in the position of being a child hearing this story for the first time. The mother of Jesus, who's who's the father? The scriptures had said that a shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse's family, one of Jesus' great-great-grandfathers. Then we pick up in verse 18. Let's check it out together. This is how the birth of Jesus, literally in the original language, this is how the genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, the sent one, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We who read all of the Gospels see this and put it in context with the other parts of the story of the coming of Jesus, the angel telling Mary the weird and good news And for a story about a baby, it's a very adult story we have in Matthew. Here, Matthew just introduces to us that she is found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, imagine, if you will, that you're hearing this story for the first time. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. She who has ears to hear, hear the story for the first time. That this kid who didn't, we don't know who the dad is. Now we're told that the Holy Spirit 
brought about this pregnancy. This is how the birth, literally the genesis of Jesus, came about. There's a word for this. It's called parthenogenesis. It's a word that's created in some ways to explain this. That the genesis of this baby could come out of seemingly thin air. Out of the breath of God. Mary and Joseph are engaged. Have you ever heard the phrase, engaged ain't married? Well, engaged was a lot closer to married back then. And engaged didn't mean married, but it was pretty close. It was a commitment to marry. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, the holy breath, the wind of God. Twice in three verses, Matthew will talk about the Spirit of God at the center of the genesis of Jesus. The shoot from the stump of Jesse was going to have the Spirit of the Lord upon him. The servant Isaiah spoke of the Messiah as was a person who would have the Spirit of the Lord upon him. Jesus comes from the Spirit of God. The Spirit, the breath, the wind of God is the source. The source of Jesus. The Spirit who hovered over the first genesis of the universe. Remember in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters, over the surface of chaos. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. The same God who says, let there be light, says, let there be Jesus. And the genesis of our new life in Jesus comes from the Holy Spirit working in Mary. Every conversion. Those of you, I mean, this is a mystery. This is a scandal. This is an embarrassment, right? This is all of those things, if you're hearing the story for the first time. And it is a great mystery. If I got up in front of my friends on a Sunday morning and said, I could explain to you how this works, you should run me out of here as a fraud. Because no one understands the mystery and the beauty and the wonder and the complete beyond all human reckoning of what happens here. No matter how you spin it, no matter how you think about it, the beginning of Jesus is this miraculous, beautiful, mysterious thing. And when you th hear the story and you think, come on, you know, and maybe you've heard it too much to think, come on. Maybe you already bought in so far that the come ons don't even come on. But what if you could, I mean, the answer, the, the response to the story, are you, seriously? What do you mean a miraculous conception? What is every conversion, right? Every, by, by every conversion, I mean, what happened when you came alive from the love of God? What happens when any person comes alive from the love of God? Every new life is a virgin birth of the Spirit. Look at what John 1 verse 12 says this. He doesn't, all the Gospels talk in different ways about the beginning of Jesus. This is how he talks about it. Yet to all who did receive them, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In, in, in its own way, a virgin birth. A children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And Matthew just writes it as if it's a thing that happens. <laughs> this thing that happened. With God, all things are possible. But what, what is even more impossible 
What, what, could, what could even be more impossible than a virgin conception? Let's look at, let's keep reading. Let's look at verse 19 in Matthew chapter 1. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was faithful to the law. Joseph doesn't say anything in the Gospels, by the way. He says nothing. We don't hear from Joseph. He's silent. He only does things. He, he doesn't say things. He just does a few things, and then he's off the map. Church tradition says that Joseph died when Jesus was relatively young. We don't hear from Joseph much. But he's faithful to the law. He's a guy that wants to do the right thing. He doesn't want to marry her because of the purity considerations. Because there are serious purity considerations. When a woman says, yeah, there's no dad, I'm just pregnant. Okay. What, what do you mean? I mean, we've enshrined this story in songs, right? In beautiful songs that talk about this. The child on Mary's lap is sleeping, but... Can you think about the conversation that Mary has with Joseph? The one where she says, I'm pregnant, which is already a horror in their time and place. It meant that she had been unfaithful to him. And it meant that, well, well this marriage is over before it even starts. And then she has the audacity to say that, no, there's no dad. It, like an angel showed up and said, you're going to be pregnant. I mean, we, I mean, I think a lot of us think that Joseph just kind of goes along with it. Like he, that he just believes it right away. Does Joseph, test question, believe it right away? Of course he doesn't. It's impossible, right? We act like Joseph and everyone in the story just knew that this was how it's going to go. And they're just kind of fulfilling plot lines in this overarching story. Joseph doesn't believe it. Joseph is going to divorce her quietly. Within the law, a man engaged could have exposed her to public disgrace. Do you hear me? It's not that Joseph's a bad guy. It's that this is an impossible claim. And he looks at the law and he says, I want to do the right thing. I, I could humiliate her. I could expose her to a public shaming that would leave her ostracized from the community. The religious rules, the rules, the law allowed for this. But notice that he has in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, let's remember what we've already been through in the book of Matthew. Remember the scandals in the genealogy? Remember that in the book of Matthew, in the story of the genesis of Jesus, we have this march of patriarchs. But then there are these interruptions, four of them, and then Mary at the end. These interruptions of heroic women in awful situations, doing impossible things, and seeing incredible things happen. The story of Jesus has as much intrigue as any story in the backstory of the Old Testament. Remember the genealogy. Judah had failed Tamar. Tamar had to dress up as a prostitute to trick him into sleeping with her in order to get him to fulfill his family obligations. David failed, failed Uriah. He had Uriah killed so that he could be with Bathsheba and have the child Solomon. Rahab 
was a madam who was a hero. Ruth took charge as a Gentile. What will become of this scandal? There are these crisis points in every family tree. And there are these crisis points in the ancestry of Jesus. And at every crisis point that we saw Matthew talk about, the crisis was not the woman, it was the, the guy. What's the guy going to do? And Mary's story is in another gospel, but this one's about Joseph. What, what is he going to do at this crisis point? He is going to divorce her quietly, is what his plan is. Because of course he would. Look at verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Notice what he said, Joseph, son of David. He tells Joseph who he is. He reminds Joseph of the story that reaches back and back and back. The same story that we looked at last week. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Would Joseph have been afraid to take her as... He was afraid to take her as... Why? It is an embarrassment. It is a scandal. Think of the whispers. It, it would have been no different than today someone saying, yeah, there's no dad. An angel told me I would be pregnant. Think of all the laughter. Think of the gossip. Of course you do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. After reminding Joseph that he's in this line of kings. He says do not be afraid. Notice that also a thing that Joseph would have been afraid of. Is him not following the law. Because the law said he shouldn't marry Mary, given what she had divulged to him. Don't be afraid, he said. This pregnancy isn't an embarrassment. This pregnancy isn't worth abandoning this woman. This baby comes from the holy breath. This is an invitation for Joseph to join in with the thing that God is doing in and through Mary. To join in the things that Jesus himself will do. This is a crisis point and an invitation into a different kind of righteousness than the one where Joseph divorces her quietly. Have you ever been in this moment in your life where there's the right thing that you could do that fulfills your obligations? And then there's the thing that goes beyond the right thing. That's righter than the right thing. I'm talking about that thing where you have a choice where you don't have to take vengeance on an enemy or on someone who's done you wrong. But the, the writer thing is to actually show them kindness. That thing where you know you have an obligation to fulfill to actually serve someone. But you go beyond that to be their friend. This is an invitation for Joseph to go beyond righteousness. Do you hear me? Beyond his requirement of the law. This is an invitation into a different kind of kingdom. Notice what the angel says at the end there. He will save his people from their sins. That's not what illegitimate kids do. 
which is the thing that will be whispered about Jesus, over and over and over, he will save his people. Who are his people? Joseph's people? People who are orphaned and abandoned? The ones on the outside as Jesus will be whispered to be on the outside? Jesus is the name in the, in the Hebrew, it's Yeshua. Maybe you've heard that before. This name Yeshua is actually our English word Joshua. So if you're named Joshua, you've got like Jesus' name. This name means the Lord saves is the translation that it will give you in your Bible. But it means literally God save. It's an exclamation or God help. There's this story that I came across that when Jewish mothers were in the pains of labor, they would yell out Yeshua. Like God help me. God save me. And this becomes the name of Jesus. The angel says that Jesus will save. Literally that he himself will save. This is a radical way of seeing the Messiah, the sent one. In Matthew actually redefines the expectations of the Messiah. It was thought that the Messiah would save his people from their enemies. Do you hear me? It was thought that the sent one would save you from them, not save you from you. And the angel tells Joseph that this kid, he's not just going to save us from them. He's going to save us from us, from our sins, not from their sins. He will save a community from their sins. This is a communal and personal aspect for us to remember in our hyper-individualistic modern times. For Matthew and for Jesus, the problem will not be them. It will be us. And Matthew will reveal infinitely more in the next verse. Look at verse 22. We only have a few verses left. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This refers to a prophecy in Isaiah that was little understood in its time. It has come to be understood as the immaculate conception of Jesus. Prophecy is this beautiful marriage of God's message said through humans. Just like Jesus is the full expression of that. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus. And the writers of the New Testament, the Matthew, looks backwards and sees all of these whispers that are realized in Jesus. Expectations fulfilled. Expectations that the writers themselves didn't even know they had. This word virgin. Sometimes it was translated originally young woman. And Matthew looks back at it. And he sees this. And he sees what happens in Mary. And he says, this is it. This is the one. Something that Isaiah himself did not see. The writers of the New Testament look back. They look back and back and back. Here Matthew looks to Isaiah. You can look all over the place as the writers of the New Testament do. You can even go back as far as Genesis. It's said in the book of Genesis in chapter, chapter 3 that the seed of a woman, which is ironic, the seed of a woman who has the seed. Like even... even even the miraculous conception of Jesus 
is whispered about in the third chapter of Genesis. Do you, you hear me? Because women don't have seed. So seed, like ninth grade biology. But in Genesis 3, it is the thing in the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. All these whispers. Jesus is the fulfillment of every thread in the Old Testament. Every thread about creation. Every thread about life. Every thread about redemption. Every thread about the Messiah. Every thread about miraculous happenings and interventions of God. It is all met in Jesus. This God with us. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Literally, the God with us. With who? Well, the first people God was with in this story is a confused husband and a young, terrified, impoverished woman. That's who God is with in this story. A young man that's in an impossible, impossible situation. A young woman who is in an impossible situation. Do you know what happens if this goes bad? I mean, this is, all the drama is here. Because if this goes bad, if Joseph doesn't believe what the angel's telling him in a vision, which I don't know about you, but if someone's pregnant, says, God got me pregnant, and I had a vision, it would, it would take more than that, maybe. More than a vision to get you on board with the impossible. If Joseph doesn't believe this, if he divorces her, do you know where that leaves Mary? Do you know where that leaves Jesus? Orphaned and alone. Abandoned. Ostracized. Cut off. But Joseph wasn't alone. Because God is with him, Emmanuel, and God saves. Mary wasn't alone. Because God is with Mary, and God saves. None of us are alone. Because God is with us and God saves. Look at this silent Joseph in the text in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph makes a choice to jump into an impossible story. An impossible story. And, and check this out. This impossible claim that Mary makes that he has a dream about. He, he follows it all the way through. Because notice that the, the text says that he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth. Meaning they didn't have sexual relations until after he was born. But it was just until... Because they have other children. And, and their marriage works. Their marriage works. And, and a beautiful family that's not just Jesus comes out of this impossible choice to jump into the story that God is telling. To stand by Mary. His decision to believe what God was saying and do something. Just like she made a choice to receive her mission of motherhood. He gets swept up into a story larger than himself. One bigger than his ancestry. 
he gives the name that he was given, Jesus, to this little baby that's born. A demonstration of great faith that this family wasn't alone. That this world isn't alone. That this impossible kid would save people from the darkness, from the despair, from every broken thing. See, because Jesus is the with us God in any impossible situation that we face. Are you facing any? Like Joseph, the question for us today is what impossible thing, what, what thing beyond just what's the minimal righteous thing to do are we being challenged with? Is there something in your life that doesn't need more words, doesn't need you to say that you believe, but needs you to actually wake up and to do what God is asking you to do? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's do some reflection on again this impossible story. beautiful children playing in the background. I want you to think of that impossible child. The impossible story. Is there something that God is asking you to do? Is there someone that God is asking you to love? Is there some impossible story that you might jump into? Could be someone that you've written off in your life. Someone that's just beyond all hope. Could be a situation with someone that you love where you just don't see a way through. How is God with you today? How's God saving today? Just take a moment. take a second to breathe. If the scriptures are true, then God is with us right now. Right here. You can borrow my faith if you don't believe it. Just sit with God for a second. The with us, God. Father, would you show us where our faith is just words or it's very, very small? God, would you wake us up to the impossible things that you're trying to do all around us all the time? The impossible things in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships, in our city, 
in our country, on our planet. God, open up our minds, open up our hearts. We sang that earlier, that you would open up, that we could be a hope for hopeless, that we could be, we could have strength and weakness, we could sow love where there's hatred, that we could be instruments of your peace, of your upside down kingdom. God, make us instruments of your peace. Make us instruments of the impossible. God, help us to not just do the bare minimum, righteous thing, but to go beyond the righteous into the impossible. That our love could be great for the people around us. That our kindness would show and tell this good news that you are with us and that you save. God, I pray for my friends. Would you encourage their hearts by your spirit, by your word, that you would make us your people into your kingdom come, your will done here. That others might be able to see your light through our actions. God, we thank you for all this and for an impossible story. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Come back next week for more. If you're giving an offering as part of your time with God, you're welcome to do it at the box in the back. Thanks.